We'll check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143 or at blindknowledge.com. Yep. You know, Welcome. sorry, do you want me to put on a ring light to get better lighting on our faces? If you want, that's up to you. Well, we, sorry, Jerry, we want to look as pretty as humanly possible for you. Okay, now I'm leaving that part in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Paranormal The New Normal. I haven't said that in a month, folks, as many of you watchers know, and I mm, miss saying it more than anything. So happy to be back finally. So happy to be back in the routine of doing what I love. Because as one of my friends said, podcasting is like breathing to me. And that is the truest statement in the world. But welcome back. And what an episode I have to start you off on. For any newcomers, I am your host, Jeremy, of course. Trying to make the world seem a little more normal. But does it ever happen? Nah. It ain't supposed to happen. And it ain't going to happen. Not today, at least. So I'm here with a guest that... That's actually their job to try to make the world a little more normal every day almost. So let me introduce them. I am joined by what another podcast called the Modern Day Ed and the Rain Warren, which I'm going to stick with that because I like it. The Paranelsons. Mark and Barbara, I'm glad to have you. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Jeremy. I'm doing great, Jeremy. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. This sounded yeah. like a fun uh, interview, and I'm glad you brought us on. Well, to, to turn down... A, a team of paranormal investigators never to turn down a married team. Oh, God, never, 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 never. That's like, <laughs> that's sacrilegious in the paranormal podcasting <laughs> world. That's sacrilegious right there. But I'm happy to have you guys on. And we're going to get into a lot of things tonight. I already know. But the first question, as always, just to get an opening glance here, what got you into the paranormal? And I'll let whichever one of you wants to start, start. Okay. The paranormal found me. I, I was a little kid. Uh, it was after my dad had passed. Uh, actually, he was um, killed in a holdup when I was 11. And so I'm out raking leaves, and I'm trying to be a normal kid in spite of what happened. 
And I turn around and my dad is standing there and I'm like, okay, uh, I'm losing my mind. And so it was a riveting experience. One I'll never forget. He smiled. He basically, he told me I'm okay and you will be too. And then he just went away. He disappeared. Went away is as good a word as anything else I can say. And it shocked me. I thought I was losing my little 11 year old brain. And then I saw him again at school. And so I told him at that point, please go away. I don't know what to do with you. I don't know how to deal with you is better, better said. That was my first shot. Oof. Damn. Okay. Guys, I wasn't lying. I said, we're going to open, I thought this one's going to be one for the books and that's a way to open a podcast. My God. <laughs> well, I mean, first things first, of course, sorry for lost your father. I mean, especially at that age, especially at that age. I mean, that's yeah. just, and the circumstances and everything. That's horrible. I mean, I lost mine when he was in his fifties, which said enough, but God, yours tops that by a mile. So yeah. Oh, wow. So Barb, when did you come into all this? So I experienced uh, the paranormal a lot younger. I was maybe five or six years old and I woke up, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, it was like three or four in the morning. And I looked up and I saw this, uh, it was like a, misty figure that was hovering in my doorway. Uh, at the time I was sharing a room with my sister. She was asleep. She had no idea what was going on. And I wasn't afraid of it. I was kind of drawn to it. And I think it was trying to communicate to me. And I didn't hide under my covers. I didn't like, mm -hmm. you know, wake everybody up. I just kind of went with it and tried to communicate. And then it uh, you know, faded away, but it, it left a lasting impression on me. And I continued in delving into paranormal things. Wow. I mean, that's, well, that's two good experiences to get you into. That's for sure. I mean, and the fact, that, the fact you didn't freak out, I mean, me at that age, I would have been running like a girl in my parents' room, like full Scooby-Doo. I mean, God, I, yeah, I, I didn't even like horror movies until recently because I just not that kind of person, but I get frightened easily until I started getting into paranormal a little more, but wow. So did the paranormal bring you guys together or did you discover you both had ties to it afterwards? No, we, we found each other in college. We were yeah. both, uh, um, you know, we just, we went to Cal State Northridge in uh, the Los Angeles area and okay. Uh, we were both took an, acting class. took an acting class, and then uh, the girl I was with wanted to be in the scene with the guy she was with. So we were kind of the leftovers. And then forty years later, here we still are. <laughs> Good leftovers, the best. Well, it it worked out in the end, apparently. So it worked. If it works, it works. <laughs> what can you say about that? But so, when did you discover that each other had paranormal abilities of your own in a way? Well. Um, do you mind? Do you want to go for? I can. Yeah, I mean, my sister, my other sister, my older sister was involved with psychics and would go see this one psychic, uh, Kenny Kingston, who was the personal psychic of Marilyn Monroe, and so he would have these gatherings, really fun, really. Uh, he was a um, a spirit. He ran spiritualist. Yeah. And so he'd have a you know gathering of psychics and you'd pay for a reading and you'd go through singing and uplifting the energy and so 
my sister invited me to that and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And so I asked Mark if he wanted to come too. And so he came along with me. And um, we watched Kenny do his thing. And then he, there's at one point in, during the service, it was a spiritualist service. He comes out and people would hold up personal objects, effects. We were actually married at the time and I was holding up my wedding band and he held, he grabbed and he said, he, basically with, it's called psychometry. You grab the ring or you grab an object and you can read it if you're a psychic medium and, or if you're just simply sensitive to uh, that sense of touch and discernment. He did. He told us, so you guys had to be married a long time. You're going to uh, move in many different places, live around the world. We've been together. Been together other before. Lives. Yeah. And Barbara and I have moved uh, and lived in several places around the country. And we, like uh, he predicted, we're together after nearly 40 years. He said that we had a bond that was unbreakable. And we've actually had an experience that really proved that. Tested it. Tested it. Yeah. Very well. Well, I mean, the fates do like to test people. That's for danger. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, it's just. Yeah, and I believe in fate. I was going to say it anyway before I even thought of that, but I, I believe in fate. I always have, and if people are afraid to be together, that's just the way it is. Like, I mean, in, especially mm -hmm. in the paranormal world, things tend to work out a little faster than usual because it's just everything, everybody's spirited towards each other in that way. Mm -hmm. So, you're a medium, Mark. Yes. So, when did you truly begin to like hone those abilities, like learn how to master them? Um, it happened when I was uh, in my mid thirties, something like that, right. I was out taking a walk. I've worked throughout my career in advertising, worked as a writer, creative director kind of person. And I was stressed out and I felt like taking a walk. And as I'm walking, I hear in uh, my head, or I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I wish my dad could have met Barbara. We had just bought a new home. We were having the life, you know, we had a daughter, a new home, we'd moved. I was feeling a little stressed, but proud of it. And then in my head, I heard, um, I have met them. I have seen them. And so uh, my first impression is, oh, so this is the onset of uh, of a psychosis. You know, I'm, I'm developing a split personality, just like that. And then, so I asked this voice in my head, if you have met them, tell me something I don't know. I need to validate that uh, you were in this spirit also to identify itself as my dad. So if you really are my dad and there's thunder as we speak, where we may be getting there's a thunderstorm coming. <laughs> so the, uh, the voice of atmosphere, God, it's atmosphere. atmosphere. <laughs> if we lose power, it's because of what's coming. Um, so I asked this voice, all right, tell me something. And I heard in my head, your brother Glenn is surrounded by green Ivy and white walls. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. I have a brother Glenn. So I called my mom up who lived near Glenn and asked, did Anything happened to Glenn? Um, I had a dream that Glenn was surrounded by green ivy and white walls. And she's like, oh, that's very funny. He just got a job at a place called the Green Ivy. And it, in fact, has white walls. And so, all right, that was an instant validation for something I'd heard. And I wanted to learn more. I started to take more walks. I got more validations. And then I thought, all right, I should go to, I need to see, is this just for family? Am I just having, a, is this temporary? Uh, I went to a, a psychic bookstore. I asked people some, if I could read. A woman who owned it said yes. If I could read her, she let me. Turned out she said that was very good. Uh, can you start working for us? And I did. 
just like that. I mean, I would work weekends. I kept my day job, so to speak. And uh, it was a good experience. Wonderful. It's kind of funny, actually, too, though. You're in advertising, and, I mean, you might have been reading the customers' minds without even realizing it. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah, I should have thought of that. Actually, somebody told me. I don't care who did, but I'm there you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just... I thought that was, that's funny, but I, wow. I mean, that's one way to get it. I mean, do you ever wish it happened a little bit sooner in your life? Like when you're in your twenties or maybe teens even? It would have been um, probably great, but you know what too? It, you like weren't a, ready for it. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I was ready for it. Yeah. I was trying to focus on, you know, starting my life. Uh, I mean, in hindsight, if I had realized, bang, I could hear it. I could do this. It might've changed our relationship. But one thing I will be very thankful for is that actually it was a, a, a scary moment for me was uh, finally having to tell Barbara, you know, I think I'm seeing and hearing dead people. And so it's kind of like your your wife doesn't want you to, you know, tell you something that could upset the apple cart particularly like that. But Barbara took it in stride. She handled mm-hmm. it. And I told her I'm not going to give up what I do. I'm not going to endanger our livelihood or our lives. But I have to pursue this. And she was uh, entirely supportive. Oh, well, I mean, that's the best you could hope for because it is. A, a lot of people wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, especially, I mean, I mean, trying to put together when all this was in like years in my head, but I can't really, can't really, you don't want to age you at the same time. So <laughs> I don't want to like, but I mean, yeah, in, in a time I'm guessing where it wasn't really like as openly accepted as it is today. Like, not even close. I mean, the only guy that was out there. Doing something like this in the media that I saw was John Edward. And there were a lot of other psychic mediums that I didn't really relate to. I wasn't like them. I was a family guy. I was someone that you'd meet at Home Depot buying a a bag of nails. You know, it's kind of more, uh, I'm I'm the neighbor that takes care of his own laundry or his, his own lawn and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, back then, a lot of them were more flashy and just trying to make money off it. And a lot of them weren't even real mediums. I mean, John Edwards, still debatable whether he actually had power or not. I mean, or if it was all staged. I mean, uh, well, South Park did him bad enough. I don't need to insult him anymore. But it's, yeah, so. And from what I've heard, Barb, you're good with paranormal equipment. All the different equipment, basically. Yeah, I I take a more scientific approach, although I am intuitive as well. She is. But um, I really liked the fact that I can, with my instruments, I can validate everything that Mark is picking up. And it actually enhances how we investigate because I would go ahead of him and pick up things and say, Mark, I think there's something in this room. Maybe we should go over here. So the equipment is just a means of recording, validating, verifying, filming, uh, getting photographs, uh, voice phenomenon. Uh, so that's really the the part that I'm really interested in. Which actually, I mean, that's perfect. You get the, you get the science, and you get. I mean, it's kind of like the Mulder and Scully aspect of it all. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I like that. I like that better than the Warren. Screw that. It's Mulder and Scully now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're op- we're the opposite because Mark's the oh. psychic and I'm the technician, so yeah. we're we're kind of well. I like it if you were to come. We yeah. And just want to say this: we have nothing but respect for uh, oh, yeah. the, the legacy of Ed and Lorraine Warren, 
Oh, yeah, um, of course. We're not connected to them in any way. We are simply admirers. But uh, we weren't the only ones to notice that we worked as a couple with similar attributes, although they were swapped. And so yeah. we, we think the world of them, and we were very thankful for the fact that they helped open doors. Oh, yeah. Definitely. They did. And, I mean, getting the actors they got to play them, they did a good job of bringing them back into the limelight of, of Hollywood. Yes, they did. A lot, a lot of people until those movies started coming out didn't know their names even. Yeah. I mean, you had to you had to be into the paranormal to know their names to begin with before that. So it's great. I mean, they definitely deserve the respect. They they opened this field up for so many people. It's just pioneers. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I like the that's why I like the Mulder and thing better anyway, because <laughs> yeah. it matches it matches up perfectly. <laughs> Who's who? Yeah, there you go. They're both very sharp in their own way, and that was a great show. And Scully, yeah, and and Scully was good with good with the science side, and Mulder was the believer. He yeah. because he had experience. So there you go, works. But so let's hear about some of your investigations, because I mean, let, all right, this is the way. As everybody knows, I usually ask what experiences people have. The second question on this show, but with investigators, that's just a very open-ended question that can answer five thousand different ways. So, what experience? sticks in your memory the hardest. That's the way I'm going to ask it. What experience sticks in your memory the hardest like you'll never forget it to the day you die? Uh, Black Dahlia investigation? Yeah. Um, Barbara and I had an opportunity. Uh, the Black Dahlia took um, is a actually uh, a, no, a, no, a terrible, notorious murder that took place in 1947 in the Los Angeles area. It is currently unsolved, although many people uh, believe they know who their perpetrator was. Um, what had happened was this uh, young actress was found uh, drained of her blood in a field and cut in half and left in a, a just a terribly demeaning and provocative way. So uh, since then, a lot of people have had theories about what happened to her. And so we were asked by a production company, which will remain unnamed at this point, to go and investigate a home they said they, they might have something to do with the Black Dahlia. And we didn't know it until we got there. We didn't know the address. But um, Barbara and I walked up. And as I'm walking towards the, and it's a very, actually, it's a very well-known location on Franklin Boulevard in east side of Hollywood. The Jaws House. The Jaws House. Uh, so, I mean, there's a number of names for it. But anyway, we walk up. And as I'm walking up, I, I mean, just, you know, I see people in spirit. I see them like I first described seeing my dad. I saw this guy that appeared to be in period clothing from the 1940s, little skinny guy, little mustache. And I'm looking at him and I'm, it's almost like we're, it feels like I'm telling I'm, I'm connecting with him rapidly. And, and I realize, Oh, it's like, Oh, you're, you're, you, you're the killer and you, you're a doctor and okay. You lived in the house and I'm walking up with the producer of this production company uh, for the production company. And I, I say, before we go any further, if a doctor lived in this house at the time of the murder, he did it. And she was like, well, that just kind of, that's it. That's it. <laughs> they, they had suspicions, but they weren't, you know, and they didn't tell me anything. And I didn't know enough what to, I mean, I couldn't have really looked into it, but I see this guy and it's like, he was like, not happy that we were there not happy that we were there. And then Barbara had her own experiences inside, but we still went, we did uh, walkthroughs of the house twice. Right. And Barbara had her own, her own. Um, yeah. That was, feelings. that was the first 
place, and, and Mark and I had been to several other, other investigations prior to this, but it was the first environment that I actually had vertigo. And it was myself and the producer was behind me. She was also a woman. We walked past down this hallway because the house was basically, it, it was like an O. So there was an atrium in the center of the mm -hmm. house and it was surrounded by hallways that had the rooms. And we walked past this, it was a bathroom, you know, and we, we walked past it and I just, something came over me and I just had this vertical. I had to like hold myself up with the wall and I walked past it. And then I looked at the producer and she did the same thing. She was like going to fall over, you know? And I go, did you feel that? And she goes, what was that? I have no idea. It was just this dizziness. You felt this vertigo. And it turns out that that was the bathroom where they had actually done some of the murdering. Or so the, the, it, it, it had been remodeled, but it was the environment that some of the actual torture and whatever else was going on. The dissection, so to speak. Yeah. See, I I love that because I looked into the block, Black Dahlia murder a lot after that movie came out in the early 2000s about it. Like I started looking into it and listening to YouTube shows about it. It's a real, I mean, it's fascinating. And the doctor was always who I actually thought did it too. But that was always the most likely suspect when they talked about it. But mm -hmm. it's, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's amazing that they actually do that. And they don't even like tell you what it is. So I was like, yeah, let's come out here, check us out. And what do you know, get here? Yeah. They, it's they, one, of the, one okay. of the most famous murder cases ever. Like, and that's the one they actually come investigate. That's amazing. That truly is amazing. Well, and that wasn't the only person he murdered in the house. There were several other, and Mark picked up that there were several other women mm -hmm. buried in the house that are still there. My impression was that he would kill them, but there was an extensive underground around basement. the house basement. Yeah. It was actually unfinished dirt underneath. Uh, and he would kill them, leave them there till things cooled off, take the bodies out, and then dis, you know, discard them later. And he, mm -hmm. what I heard from him is I heard this doctor saying, I'm just taking out the trash. And it's like, what a horrible monster. Uh, what's interesting, too, is his son, uh, the doctor's son, wrote a book called The Black Dahlia Avenger and then did a follow-up to that. And he believed that his father, I mean, when we I started... Went, we went to his book signing, and it was at the same time we were doing the investigation. The and we said, we're, we're, we're the ones in doing the investigation and we wanted to meet you because we wanted to get the really what you think happened and so we told them what we picked up you know about just not just elizabeth short but several other women he said he said the same thing he said i think he killed many and he said my father did do it he admitted it and this guy ended up becoming a leading detective for i believe it's the los angeles police department yeah uh, the other thing, too, when we went to see him speak, uh, we made a point of like not waiting for him to speak and to spill his beans. We went up at, right before I talked and said, before you start you know, revealing all him. of this, yeah. this is what I got. This is who Barbara and I are. And we were just at the house. This is what we knew. And it turns out he lived in that house when he was a kid. And that at the time of the murder, he thinks his father sent he, um, his, his mom, mom and, 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 sister. and his sister away to another home they had in Las Vegas. So, or, or, Palm, or Springs. Palm Springs, my mistake. Thank you. And so 
they they can put the time frame together that that would have happened. Uh, this guy ended up, the doctor ended up divorcing his wife. And, uh, and so he didn't feel obligated to, to be part of that, you know, protect his father at all. Mm-hmm. And, and then as oddly enough, his father, his mother, after his father passed, gave him a box of photographs. This was a different mother. Oh, different. No, his, th- his wife, his, cause he, what oh, happened? Yeah, yeah, what happened after they, he never got convicted, but they were getting close to convicting mm-hmm. him. They put, he left a lot of the evidence by the body. He left a bag that he had the concrete in. He left the bag right by the body. They had all this evidence. And uh, the son who was, he was investigating his these murders and he went to the LAPD to pick up the evidence box. And this is years afterwards. This is but... years after. And surprisingly, there was nothing in it. <laughs> Somebody had discarded all the evidence. So and okay. he had a he had like a 95% solve yeah. rate. I mean, he he was not he he solved most of his cases. One other thing interesting about this is that uh, the doctor. I mean, we believe he did kill quite a few people. Um, the the mother or one of the mothers gave the, the detective this box of photos. One of them include, included a photo they believed to be Elizabeth Short. Uh, in addition, right. there was a photo of one of this detective's Girlfriend. early girlfriends. Yeah. And they were like not fully clothed. Oh, but I also was going to tell you the reason why the doctor had unusual access to women like this is that he was the head of women's health in services, in, services yeah. in Los Angeles. And what that means is that women who uh, need, wanted an abortion were having, yeah. you know, they had, you know, hook, you know, hookers, prostitutes, you know, women who were doing the sex trade, they yeah. came to him with various diseases. And so he was in contact with women who might be considered disposable. Right. That, is, that is a heinous thing to say, but in that context, he would think no one's going to miss them. Yeah, I, I was going to say, not easy, not easily miss people. Like the people that yeah. are... Well, and his attitude of, I'm just taking out the trash. That's that's how he felt. And I so, mean, it's, Yeah, it's a serial killer mo- motive. Like, same, same as Gacy or Dahmer, just like them. It's a, it's a serial killer motive that they are not doing anything wrong, even though they're doing the most horrendous thing you could do in the world. Like, literally. And the other thing, too, is that this doctor knew... Uh, powerful men in Los Angeles. Right. Many of them would find that their female companions were uh, pregnant in an untimely way. Mm-hmm. So he had he would take the goods on people. Yeah. He could arrange abortions, arrange for people right. to go away because of his connections and his position. Exactly. Which, and I, yeah, I, I believe I remember in some of the documentaries I watched, they talked about like how he would have. It's funny because it's very similar to the whole Jack the Ripper theory that it was the royal doctor that did it all because he had the connections to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, it's very similar. I, I, I never thought of that even until like right now, but that is very similar. But, it but make, it's perfect sense. Makes yeah. perfect sense. But Mark also picked up his accomplice because he had another. Uh, there was another guy there who they would do this together. He he had someone help him. And he got the name. He actually um, got the name of the accomplice. I heard this weird, as he called himself the Baron. The Baron. It's like, who calls themselves the Baron? Well, 
apparently assistance to serial killers on occasion. And so but he uh, wasn't a real bear. He wasn't. He was fake yeah. uh, European aristocracy. He was fake. And yeah. uh, and his son, the detective, validated that. So I found yeah. that interesting because you know, it's like some of the stuff I hear is like, hope it's true. This is what I'm hearing. I'll throw it out there. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the Baron. Yeah, that's that's only a name for serial killers, a Looney Tune villain, and possibly some comic book villains as well. <laughs> yes, sir. And they usually don't actually have Baronship anywhere. They're just, they give themselves, they give themselves the name. But the Baron, um, too, which is. The Baron. Yeah, yeah. So the, the other question I usually like to ask investigators about their investigations what was the case that made you actually? What is the case that made you pretty much, because pretty much everybody has one, I always find out. Which one made you like tear up from happiness just because you're able to help this spirit like so much? Oh, wow. Maybe Probably the Queen Mary one. What about Sharon Tate with the uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 did, I, I did see her Sharon Tate. <laughs> oh, I am yeah. full of yours now. <laughs> that, was, that was a very, very emotional one. Yeah, it was. Because I, I actually... I was a kid at the time, but I remember how much that murder, the the Tate and the LaBianca murders, just put the whole city of Los Angeles at a standstill. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I remember that as a kid, you know, it's like, it was so horrific what happened. Nobody could believe it. And so um, it, it always kind of uh, stuck with me. And when we had that opportunity to go to, uh, the David Oman house, which was down the street from the actual property. Tate property, which I think they were renting at the time. They didn't own it. They mm -hmm. were renting it. Yeah. Uh, Rowan Plansky and Sharon Tate. And she was like eight or nine months pregnant oh, at yeah. the time. And the night of the murders, she had invited over her friends. Um, uh, the There's four boy, of them. Yeah. Um, um, Abigail Folger, uh, Wankowski, uh, um, yes, J.C. Um, Sebring. Sebring. There were Tate, Tate, and the others, and then um, someone she wasn't even aware of, a house get uh, like visiting the housekeeper right. on the property, a uh, young man, Stephen Parent, Wojciech, um, Wykowski, Wykowski, I think. Forgive the me, boyfriend. And um, so we were invited to come to that the house, which was the property, which was down the street. And there was all this activity going on in that house uh, from the people that the spirits that were still kind of hanging out. And, you know, Mark and I were asked to come and investigate, see what we could pick up. And um, Mark, uh, you, you really connected with uh, Sharon. Well, I, let me one, two things. Um, David has his house tricked out with a lot of details from the 60s. Right. He likes, uh, and David Posters. was very generous to allow us to come and visit. Yes. It was very kind of him, and he opened his house up and made it available to us. Um, so his house does feel, have a strong 60s vibe. Uh, the other thing, too, is that on the day before Barbara and I were invited up for a, um, a shoot with a production team, I, I was working in Culver City. Um uh, Friend said, hey, and I was new on the job in ad biz. Hey, you want to go for a walk? Where? It's like, I don't know, Culver City. He says, let's walk across the street at Holy Cross Cemetery. It's like, 
it's a funny place for a walk, but okay. You know, and this, and I had not told him that day, I'm going, I need to leave at five o'clock today, which is not a little unusual in the ad biz. I need to get out. I need to be somewhere in Beverly Hills at a certain point. And so um, we're walking around and, and it's like, I'm getting very conscious of the time. We got to get out of here, man. I got to get back. I got to finish stuff. I got to go. What are you doing? It's like, well, I'm going to go to um, investigate the Sharon Tate murders. Uh, a, a paranormal MCLA. investigation yeah. and he basically goes she's buried right over there so hmm. what are the chances of me not knowing where i was i wasn't planning on going anywhere wasn't planning to go into the cemetery and then i end up you know 20 feet away from her when i say her name we walk over and there is her grave um with and the her and her son next to her oh. and um so it's just like wow you're manipulating me to be here i there's no way i could have done this there's no, I mean, there's, it's impossible. So went and did the investigation that night. Um, what she told me, I mean, I heard, I heard distinctly from Jay Sebring, Jay Sebring was yeah. one of the killers and was arguably her best friend. And, and I heard Jay Sebring say, we had big plans on tape. They heard me say we had, uh, I had, we I had, had big I had big plans. Then they heard a second voice on tape saying I had big plans. So uh, that was an electronic voice phenomenon. Because he, he, at that time, he kind of got cut off right as his star was rising. He was doing all the hair, haircuts for all the celebrities, Steve yeah. McQueen. And, you know, his star was rising. And so he just got cut down right, right when that was happening. It was so sad. He was a young guy. Yeah. The, the thing was... People are actually familiar with that case more than ever now because of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like make it, bringing it back to limelight. Um, well, this, just, <laughs> this, the thing that, that made us tear up, though, I'm sorry, it's a long time getting to your, your oh, okay. Okay. is that I heard um, her say, well, why did you bring us? I asked her, why did you want us here? Right. And she said, we wanted people to know not to think of us only for the last moments of her life. And we are beautiful again. Right. We that was the message. Again. And when Mark was filming that, I was off camera and I was just, I was watching the little monitor. And the minute he said that, that we're beautiful again, I everybody was like crying. You know, they were tearing up and crying because it was such a beautiful message. And it's like, I don't want to be remembered all, you know. Just for the last sensational. Of I want to be remembered. You know, we, we're beautiful now. So I thought that was, I'm getting all, yeah, I'm getting all chilled. Now. And it's yeah. so fair. It's yeah. like young woman had such a great, uh, Abigail Folger. I mean, they all had, you know, lives to live. And that yet all we ever think of them is that they were victims of the monster Charles Manson. Yep. Who, and ironically, so, ironically, as far as we can prove, never killed anybody himself. But No, but he was um, certainly the ringmaster. Yeah, I have some podcast friends who like to argue that he was a CIA plant, but I don't. Yeah, I've heard, I, I've heard that too. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. I think he was just a madman who he was just a musician who couldn't get what he wanted, but he could was very good at influencing people to do what he wants. Very good. I agree very with that. Good. I agree. He was a master at it. He was a horrible musician, but I mean, yeah, he was a master at manipulating people. I mean, uh, I've watched a lot of shows about him, movies about him too documentaries about him he's just 
I mean, he literally killed the swinging sixties. He literally killed it. Like oh, by yeah. having that, by having that done that night, like he, 1969, it killed. He made it go to the next decade, and everything changed. So he's single single handedly responsible for that for the most part. Yeah, it's, it's really but, yeah. it's true because I just I remember the the whole atmosphere at that time just switched because of those events. We were and little kids like, at the time, but you could be conscious of. Yeah. Now we have to go out and be careful. Now we can't be carefree and, and, and free love isn't love all the time. There may be a madman behind that smiling face who wants to go hang out with you. Yeah, especially if you're a beach boy. But it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's sad. It started up, but it also, I mean, it, it was a good thing in a way, I guess, kind of because it made America more aware that there is danger lurking when things like this have happened before that, but it just wasn't yeah. widespread news across the country or anything. It was just local news, and people would forget about it a couple of years later because life goes on, and it wasn't put in front of their faces on television and all that. I mean, I mean, I think the first recorded serial killer in America was like in the 1850s or 60s, technically. Yeah, yeah. There was the guy connected to the uh, the White City uh, in Chicago. Uh, the Devil in the White City. The Devil in the White City. Yeah. That yeah, was- I mean... It- Yep, and I, I believe there was one that was down south somewhere that was one of the first recorded serial killers of children in the 1800s. There was uh, actually there was a couple. There was a couple, was a couple in uh, Charleston. Uh, I can't remember Savannah. Charleston. Might have been Charleston. Yeah. This woman, husband and wife team, owned a, an inn that we actually went to. We went to. And their their game was to invite lonely travelers in. And then they would feed them, drug them, and then they set up a bedroom that would have a false floor that would fall. It would fold. Or the bed would open drop. up. The bed would drop. Yeah, and then, and then they then would go down. The husband would be waiting for them and, and kill the person as he hit the floor drugged. And then they would rob them. And then say he left. Yeah. The guy isn't here anymore. And so that, talk about a, 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 a horrible in vindictive woman or a possessed woman to the very end. I, I don't have her name, but it's it's a pretty... Well- we went to the prison where they ended up. It, it's in Charleston. And... Uh, oh, she... It. Well, what she did, she's... Um, oh, they, they had a law at the time. You can't hang uh, a, a married, married woman. <laughs> you can't. And so yeah. you can't hang a woman who's been, you know, so married. They, so they hung the husband first. So now you're a widow. Now she's a widow. Gotcha. I love love, love the sarcastic humor. Especially (laughs) that Graham. I love it. I freaking love it. (laughs) What made it even worse, though, is that as she's waiting to be killed, she says, does anyone have a message for the devil? Because I'm about to go see him. And then she jumped off Off the the platform rather than wait for the platform to fall. She hung herself. She hung herself. That's one nasty bitch on the way out. I, I kind of respect her moxie in a way, almost, but I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of do. I mean, it's like, wow, like to have the balls, like literally to have the balls to do that. Like it's just, and as a woman, especially back then, like, wow. Like, I mean, yeah. How, can, do, you know how they, do you know how they got caught? Because that's what I'm kind of curious. How oh, they yeah. Got caught. What happened was, is that the guy uh, that got drugged said, I don't feel good. And he fell asleep in his chair, chair, not the bed. And then he saw the bed, bed drop out. And then he realized, oh, God, 
uh, something's wrong. And he climbed out the window and ran a few miles into town in the middle of the night, shaking off, you know, barefoot and running in the dark. And he told them what happened. He told the authorities in this town. They went back to the inn and they caught the two of them. And then they realized they, they found obviously enough ample evidence to convict both of them of, of multiple murders in their own little happy inn. I swear, if that isn't a movie yet, they need to make it one. Oh, just horrible. And what a period of Somebody piece. will. <laughs> that really would make a hell of a movie, so to speak. I, 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 I honestly have to look into it now because I feel like they had to have made a movie about it. I mean, I mean, crap. If Norman Bates did that stuff, he wouldn't have got caught so easy. The bed dropped, and this is fairly uh, popular. We heard it on our tour. We read about it. The mm. bed would drop, and the guy would kill anyone who – I mean, imagine you're – I mean, I wouldn't want to imagine it too much. Imagine falling, having your bed fall away, and you're, you've been drugged, and you're kind of injured falling, and then this guy jumps up and stabs you to death. I mean, what kind of chance could you legitimately have against a, a situation like that? None. You have no. You would have no chance, especially if you're drugged. I mean – Forget it. I mean, especially, I mean, back then, especially nowadays, I mean, yeah, maybe people would be more, a little more people re- listen to enough true, true crime podcasts to know how to get out of certain situations, but still, it, you you wouldn't get away that easy. The the prison actually had some activity when we oh, went, yeah. because the parking lot is where the gallows were, yeah. and so I brought my instruments with me, and they were just going ballistic. And this and, was in the middle of a dirt parking yeah, lot. Yeah, it's a dirt parking next lot. Next to a building that it was, you know. And I, I asked the tour guide, I go, was, was there something here? Was there a building or was something? Oh, this is where the gallows This is where be. the god gallows <laughs> stood. You're standing right on the spot. And then we got stuff inside the prison, uh, which they just recently renovated. They they give tours and they renovate it because it was it's crumbling. It's like falling apart. And uh, I mean, I felt we went into where her cell was and you could just feel her presence. And I actually was uh, I remember I felt like this cool breeze go by my face. And then I, I felt like someone just went tapped me on the nose like that. And Mark was picking up a bunch of stuff, too. In addition to her lovely energy, there was a jailer who was uh, renowned for his brutality and beating people up, a very large guy that that administered uh, justice, so to speak, or torture with a club. And so I saw this big, dark energy. And and I I forget his name, but it was not an unusual name. But it's like there's a guy begins the name. I don't know if it was Jim. So not Jeremy. His name was not Jeremy. Just so we're but we're you, you described it, and then the tour guide said, "Oh yeah, that's Big Jim, somebody around Yeah, or that's Big Jim. Yeah. Wow. I mean, kind of green, kind of green mile-ish or Shawshankish, but I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, they had to get inspiration from somewhere. But and yeah, there's a history of guards that like to be a little aggressive with prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> there's a history of that, especially back then. But well, nobody cared. No one was going to yeah. follow up. Yeah. You know. Well, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, why? Why would they back then? They had a lot more to worry about than that. But wow. But did I, did I hear you say Queen Mary earlier? That you investigated yes. the Queen Mary? Yeah, I, that's yeah. a location I freaking know because every paranormal investigator I know, group I know, like, is, has sold tickets to that one time or another to go on it. Well, we've had some very we've good been experiences. There. That, that's like going home. We, we yeah. love going to the Queen Mary. We've had so many uh, experiences. 
But one of the most memorable was when we did the crossing over of the oh, prisoners. Yeah. Yes. They, they, the, at the time, they would allow you down to, I think we went down five or six flights of stairs to the very bottom, which was the cargo hold. And that's where they had the prisoners. The I think they were German and Italian prisoners. Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, transport them across the uh, Atlantic to New York. And that's where they... Prisoners had, of war. Yeah, prisoners of war. So uh, we went down with our group. And another friend of ours, Patrick Burns, was there. Yeah. And Mark and Patrick conducted um, a crossing over because we were trying to get some of them to go home. You know, they were stuck there yeah. for you know, decades. And it's like we were trying to get them to go to their family or, you know, just be at peace. And so that was another emotional moment where mm -hmm. yes. a lot of people were teary eyed. You, you can tell this. Well, story. what happened was, is that uh, just to make sure that there was no electronic interference from other equipment, technologies, Patrick put uh, an EMF meter at a good distance from us but not so far that we couldn't see the light register, you know, blink. Yeah. And so uh, we told the spirit, we, I, I'm, I'm speaking him through it, that you don't have to stay here. Do you understand that? Blink, blink. Can you see your uh, other voices? Can you hear other voices calling you to the light? Blink, blink. Can, do you see your, I mean, I'm hearing this. I feel like, no, it's his parents. His parents are calling him to the light. So, my message to him was there's forgiveness in the light. There's, uh, you know, reconciliation, go to the light. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be an earthbound spirit. There's no significant purpose in it. And so uh, this guy kept, you know, responding. Yes, no, yes, no, go. And then uh, go to the light. And then all of the communication stopped. And it was very clear that he had to us. Well, there were, there were, we had like about 10 K2 meters, and just for your audience, a K2 meter measures the electric electromagnetic energy from whatever you know spirit is around. It picks up on that and then sets off these series of lights. Uh, the cooler lights, the green, are like a, a low energy, but the, when it goes to the red, then that's a higher energy. So all the lights were blinking in the red the whole time they were doing this uh, crossing over. And as soon as, you know, it's almost like you felt a door shut. And then every one of our instruments just went out. Like, like they were, and we're all looking at each other like, because it was simultaneous. They, they all went out at the same time. And you just felt, in in the space this like release i i, I don't know how to describe it but You're it felt like a release and you know you you got teary-eyed like oh my god they've they've passed on they've crossed over you know so i do you have time for us to tell you one more kind of sim somewhat more oh yeah we got plenty of time okay uh barb and i were called to investigate a landmark hotel uh in the beverly hills area undergoing construction. Or Bel Air. Bel Air. Bel Air. And Bel -Air. so we uh, were asked to come by the head of security and the general manager of the hotel. The hotel had been shut down for about two years as they fixed the rooms, updated everything. The, the, um, 
the, the reason why the, there was a couple of reasons. Apparently there were ghosts or people in spirit getting in the way of construction. Uh, guys would be working on the job, their power tools would be unplugged back when the, everything was a battery. So the doors would be locked. You'd walk out of the room for a reason and the electronic door locks would lock behind you. So people were getting locked out of rooms, tools were being stopped, uh, stopped working. And then uh, they saw uh, on another event, they saw a little girl running around in a courtyard or by a sidewalk. Yeah, she was hiding. She would be in the bushes in a courtyard and then she would come out full figure. They would, the gardeners would see her as this little girl dressed in kind of period clothing. And they would go toward her to, you know, wonder, like, what are you doing here? You know, and then she would just like go disappear away. into the bushes. Well, finally, some of their the men in black security saw them. This is where the head of security got said, we have to do something different. They sent one of their security guards over on their closed circuit TV. Little The guy approaches the little girl. She looks up at them and just disappears. And they realize, oh, we're out of our element. We don't know how to deal with this. <laughs> this ain't we weren't. Um, this ain't our part of our job description. So they called us. Barbara and I. Uh, Barbara had uh, and other people with the EMF meters. I, I sensed there was a little girl there who had died on the property, and uh, again there was probably like a dozen people with us, something like at that, at least because at they least. had family members, um, people in the security team, general managers, staff, and um, myself, Barbara, and like one or two other administrators. And so we had a number of pieces of equipment going. Um, I basically said to the little girl that your mom and dad are waiting on the other side. You don't have to stay here. You can go back and be with them if you'd like. And so we're getting very distinct and powerful. Yes, I, I'm, I hear them. And I'm going to go the to light. them. Do you go see the light? the light? Yes. Blink, blink. Yes. Blink, blink. Okay, go to the light. And then... Uh, is fat we were and it's very rapid fire. Do you see them? Blink, blink. Do you hear them? Bing. Go to the light. Blink, blink. Okay, I will. I will. And then all of the communication on multiple equipment, all the lights turned everything off. Everything stopped. The cameras stopped. And it was like Every, okay. everything like went dead. <laughs> and, and I have to admit, it got me a little emotional because yeah. she was very um, forward well, and yeah. clear, and all these other people sensed there was something very deep and emotional happening at a spiritual level. And it turns out that they used to have uh, horseback riding on the property, and she was the daughter of the uh, caretaker of the, the horses, and he got her a little pony to ride, and she fell off and broke her neck on the property. Died very suddenly. So that's, and that's what we saw, and that's what we heard, but that was a very emotional, uh, cathartic moment, you know, where people realize, okay, this is not just Mark and Barb, you know, picking up a few little things. This is. Yeah. And they corroborated all the uh, historical, uh, you know, after Mark had told the story, they corroborated. Yeah. This, this little girl did exist and she was the daughter of the, uh, the stable uh, uh, person who took care of the horses. So. Barb and I also try to think of the, the people who are our clients. We also include people in spirit as our clients in most cases. Which is a very honorable thing to do because a lot of investigators are just out there to, they don't, they're not trying to help the spirits. I mean, they'll help them cross. I know a lot though. I know a lot of them that help them cross over. I mean, that, that, that exists. I know it does for a, a lot of different mediums, but. We don't, uh, we don't try, we don't provoke them. They, 
they actually, when Mark and I are together, it, it just, they, it, it's almost like they see us as a window that they can come and, you know, voice whatever they have to say, whatever message. It's like, we, we don't sit there and like beat drums and make things happen. They, they just kind of are, I don't know, magnetized to us or they come to oh, us sure. and okay. uh, we try to help them. That, that's our main goal is what can we do to help you? Yeah, I mean, go makes ahead. Sense. Makes sense because I mean, fate works in weird ways. And if that's your purpose on this planet by whatever gives you that purpose, then mm -hmm. of course they're going to be drawn to you because they know it's what you're there to do. Spirits definitely know more what's going on in this world than we do for Lord's sake. I mean, come on, they have to. I mean, there has to be some benefit to being a spirit on earth. <laughs> there has to be some well, benefit. I think a lot of them know who's uh, sensitive and those who right. were not. One of one last thing too is that we try to be conscious of: Are we dealing with an angry, negative spirit that could right. harm us, right. or is this a victim? And so, yeah. if someone is a victim, I will challenge them. I will push them back. And we do uh, clear homes for people. We we make that attempt sometimes, and it can take more than one time, because right. I mean. It, I'm not a licensed exorcist by any stretch, but we, and we're raised Catholic. We tend to use we, uh, yeah. Catholic symbolism and messages. It doesn't mean the people, uh, whatever your faith is, that you can't use something that symbolizes, you know, God, light, love to you uh, and to, to do this. And so, but they seem to, Barbara had an experience where she we, read the, the prayer of Michael, yeah, the we, archangel in Greek. We went to this one uh, private home in Thousand Oaks, was it? I or, think so, yeah, out that way. And I guess the couple, they, they were having issues with some pretty, not, I don't know if they were demonic, demonic. but they were like nefarious, of, you know, <laughs> bothering them. And so uh, this for the first time, I... I said, I, I just want to try the uh, prayer to St. Michael, the archangel, to say it in Latin. Latin. And I Latin, actually, right. I had it. I had it in a book. And so I, we, as we were doing our session and trying to communicate with these negative energies, uh, I started reading the prayer. And immediately all the instrumentation <laughs> were going to the red and it was just like don't like ballistic this. and mark kept saying keep reading keep reading yeah and it was like oh my god whatever we stirred something up because uh they did not like it and uh eventually we were hoping that that was something that would send them away um i, I think maybe we heard back from them one more one other time, but yeah, I think we pretty much got rid of some, you know, most of the bad stuff. But they also don't like holy water. Yeah, because I that's I re literally we've been on like um, having all of these reactions around us, and how we I can that you know we can validate that is that we seldom work in an environment with one electrical device, one measuring device. There's multiple different things measuring different uh, the energy in different ways. But there was this one point when I reached for the holy water and and everything stopped. <laughs> and they're like, and did you just see that? I saw that. Did you see that? I saw that um, where they did where people, uh, these spirit beings did not like us, like me 
throwing holy water around it seemed to be uh, right. an irritant at minimum. Yeah. Mm. Which, I mean, it, yeah. It, it's ironic you guys brought that up even because I was going to ask you as kind of a, well, kind of like a last question, last questions type thing. If you actually ever had any encounters with uh, de demons or angels, if, if that's what if that word people want to so much demons, but definitely very, very negative uh, yes. energies that are very powerful. And so you, you cannot, uh, like, the, well, at the Black Dahlia house, we actually forgot to do our um, yeah. protection. We always start out a session with some type of a prayer protection. And we didn't do it at that house. And that was the one time that uh, he actually followed us home. And we, at the end of the, when we went home, uh, again, Barbara and I have been married a long time. We, every couple has fights. Yeah. But we got into a real screamer. I it's thought like, Mark was possessed. This is out of character <laughs> for us. And it's like, you know, well, it our duty, we don't normally fight. And then where were we just, what was the location? We were at the home of a serial killer. Yeah. Investigating and that, evil dark spirits. And they asked us to come back a second time. And that's the only place I told Mark, I go, I, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. I did not want to go back there. But we did. And we actually, uh, I'm glad we did because we really like fought him. Yeah. You know, because he, he, he actually, his energy, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would like, you know, I'd still be in a sleep state, but I would see him at the foot of our bed and he was just like staring at us. And then he was trying to like make us fight. And, you know, it was just really bizarre. And until we finally realized, oh, this is what's going on. He's trying to break us up. You know? And also to this, um, we've all seen the movies where they're possessed, where people are right. possessed. You know, in spirit and body, they lose their minds. They th their head spins around. This was oppression. This is there's the next uh, oppression. This oppression is the next lighter step, where right. they will try to oppress you, cause you to misbehave, do things erratically, hurt someone, and so that's that. I think we've experienced. I know we have. So and so we did a lot of uh, saging, uh, a lot of prayer, um, but. We had to be vigilant. We could not let our guard down or we, you know, we would have gone on to the next step, <laughs> which yeah. I didn't know. Which, I mean, maybe that's, I mean, I'm agnostic by trade, so I don't particularly believe in any one religion more than the other. I believe in, I'm spiritual, so I believe there's something out there. Just don't know what to call it. <laughs> but, um, I mean, to me, Maybe, I'm just thinking, maybe that's what demons technically really are. It's just negative spirits that are left on Earth. It's and, a negative. Oh, yeah. it is. It's and, an energy. We all, there's I light mean, and dark. There's light and dark energy. Of course. I mean, it, it's just, me, what, what, I'm more, what I'm more trying to say is maybe it's not the whole scaly creatures that we, that pop culture has made us think they are, that ancient art has made us think they are. Like They tend to be attractive. They want to lure you in. Oh, yeah. They want yeah. they or they'll take advantage of you when you're at a weak point. Hodel, that was Dr. George. Uh, yeah, Doctor Hodel. Doctor George. He's well dressed, you know, rich. Very, very uh, fastidious. Fastidious, for uh, sure. You know, we both we both saw him very fastidiously dressed and neat. You know, uh, but boy, 
anyway, that was a, that was an experience. So we, we got out of that after about three months. <laughs> uh, just one last word from us on this. Anyone that's getting into this, regardless of your uh, spiritual situation, whatever you believe, try to surround yourself. I, uh, I surround myself in the white light of right. love and divine protection. We will allow only positive energy to influence us. We will not allow the negativity of others to affect us in any way. That's a non-denominational cover yourself, protect yourself, and uh, try to visualize yourself protected because uh, they'll take advantage of your uh, your weakness, your weakness, or yeah, your lack your of protection. Fear. They feed off your fear. And this is why I don't do paranormal investigations, folks. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but just saying, there's a reason I don't go to do it myself because I I like to hear about it and have people talk about their experiences. I don't. Someday, maybe, maybe I'd have to be with someone who I know could protect me with. I feel safe being with Mark. And, and vice and, versa. You know, and on most of our investigation, a lot of people hang out around Mark because he can actually hear what they're saying. He can he can communicate. So it's like, should we get out of here? Is this a dangerous spot? Or <laughs> well, we'll also just know that okay, um, you know, maybe we we they're not going to play. They're no, these aren't trained dolphins. These are spirit beings. Right. They come and go when they want. They don't right. want to interact. They don't have to. Right. They want to hassle you. They will. Right. So right. you got to be conscious of the fact that we're dealing with people who are, uh, uh, they're spirit beings and they have free will and they can do what they want up to an extent. Right. Exactly, people. Don't be like the people in Deep Blue Sea and think you could train sharks. Come on now. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean it's just you're asking for trouble if you try to train something that can't be trained. Which is, yeah, they don't spirit, want to be trained. A spirit is a can be a predator if it wants to be. I mean, it can be. It can be. Of course, it could. There's mm -hmm. evil that exists always. Mm -hmm. But the last thing I'll ask you before we do go before we wrap up is, have you come across shadow people? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And they do exist. It's a real phenomenon. Oh, I don't doubt. I don't doubt they exist at all. I yeah. Just, I, yeah. I, I know people who've had experiences, but what do you think they are? Like, that's the question I like to that's ask. That's a great question. Always. The um, Hollywood Roosevelt. Well, the, I shall talk about the guy that was at my mother's house that my, oh, yeah. my mom built, uh, had a home that she was renovating, was probably 50 years old, 40 years old. More than that. Yeah. It was a pretty old, it was yeah. an older home in the LA area, which is unusual. Yeah. And uh, a friend came to visit. And they saw a man in like a dark top hat, short, dark top hat. And he's been described before as having like, we're seeing a guy. And he goes by a hallway. He goes by a hallway and he'll walk yeah. in your line of sight. And well, so, you'll see him out of the side of your eye. And, and it had him. a couple of people say, we saw that. We saw him. You didn't tell us your house was haunted. I didn't know my house was haunted. We saw someone and we walked out and we could only see in the mirror. So... What are those those beings? They, I mean, they're all levels in my mind of uh, fallen angels, uh, demons. To my thinking, were never human. Um, they, they're they're not human. There are people who are spirit beings. I also believe that there's elementals. I believe that there are uh, that could be like nature spirits. I also believe they're interdimensionals. Some people may say that those are really just uh, people from other dimensions or uh, universe. I've heard that theory. I've heard that theory. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can't argue with it because it seems to fit. 
you know, really too well in terms of description, in terms of how they act. So uh, they're out there. I would say if you if you have a sense of something, be there, being there, whatever, however you protect yourself spiritually, be it a, a line of right. salt on the, on the, the ground, um, follow through with the intention of it, the idea that you're protected. If you're doing this on a wing and a prayer and, gee, I hope this helps, it doesn't help. You have to have faith in the things you do. Otherwise, they just know it. And they'll walk over any protection you have unless you really um, put some faith in it. Otherwise, you're, oh. you're toast. It's all, it's all, exactly. It's all, it's all belief. It really is all belief. And I mean, I actually, I work with a previous guest of the show on a biweekly basis, a Reiki master and something I never would really have thought was possible until the last six months, but energy work is real. Like I oh, felt yeah. it firsthand that it works and it's amazing that like it completely made me more spiritual than I ever could have imagined myself being because I finally found the proof I was looking for. I mean, that's part, that's part of the reason I'm not religious is lack of proof, which, I mean, I, I'm like you, Barb. I like to look at things from scientific methods. And, like, right. it's just, I don't know. There's as a, And as a paranormal podcaster, there's, I get more questions than answers every freaking time I do an interview. So <laughs> We understand that for a fact. We do. Yeah, I mean, shout out people. Yeah, I mean, I, that ultra-terrestrial theory that they come from other dimensions, I it makes sense. It honestly does. I, I have my personal own personal theory that they're kind of evolved ghosts, like they're evolved spirits that like they've been around long enough that they, they learned how to change their form to look more human. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the one you described almost reminds me of like the hat man phenomenon that's been going on for the last right. 20 years, like in popularity, but it's been going on a lot longer than that, that's really. Cool. But people just yeah. they talk. Yeah. But, you described a shadow person to me, but. Uh... I mean, the hat man is a shadow person or a spirit. I mean, it goes both. It can go both ways, from what I've been told. But basically, the hat man is just a particular shadow entity that always looks like that with the top hat and everything, and it just—it's unexplainable. It's really unexplainable. But I want to thank the Nelson for coming on because it's been an amazing show. I honestly could go for another hour if I had the, if I had the chance. But thank you. But. Where and actually, I saw a comment on one on another podcast you guys were on where someone like commented on the YouTube video, like, do they have their own YouTube show? Because they should. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, funny that you say that, young yeah. man. I, I, we are considering doing that. I mean, we we kind of backed into the Paranelsons for real. We're Paranelsons and we're the Paranelsons, <laughs> you know. So why not? We're not your old fashioned Ozzy and Harriet by any stretch. We're we're kind of uh, very I mean, different. Honestly, you guys, if you guys did a YouTube show of each episode about differentiation done or something like that, like it would get it would get views. Like, oh, I could introduce you to people that would put it in their network and everything. Like it's definitely it'd well, be something. I you know actually I appreciate that. Maybe can we talk for pick your brain for a few minutes after the broadcast? Also of course. if people want to find me, I'm at um marknelsonmedium.com. Marknelsonmedium.com. That's my site. Um event I do readings for people. I uh, also um, I'll do the, I, I officiate weddings, uh, and, but I do paranormal investigating because it's a, just a fascinating service. We don't, um, we, we don't charge for that. And if you want to reach me or Barbara, you can also go through that. And we're also working on our site, Paranelsons. We, we also are on Instagram, Paranelsons, and we post, uh, you know, our current, what we're doing, um, just some of our investigations, 
So that's a good place to start, but we are uh, putting together a website so that people can see uh, where events are that we're at. And all and, of that. Yeah. Well, there you go. We, you, I was literally about to ask whether people can find you and you did, went right ahead and did it for me. I love it. It saves me time. Our, our pleasure. And of course, all my listeners, you know where you can find me. If you don't know, you're new, listen to the outro. You'll find out. <laughs> or just search paranormal normal on google because i swear to god i have like five google pages when it comes up like it's just, it's just a lot of episodes and a lot of different guest appearances but i want to thank mark and bob for coming on that's this has been an amazing comeback show for me and i love it i absolutely love it and till next time i praise i have an interview next week lined up guys i'm i gotta reschedule a lot of the interviews i got missed in the last month so they're coming back and if you're watching this in replay in the next few days be sure to check out the podcast stream for a little announcement coming up with everything that all the specials that be coming up because I had a lot of time over the last month to work on things that you don't get time to work on. So come check it out. And until next time, hope you enjoyed the show and like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. Thank you. Thank you. You can find me on Facebook as Jeremy Bryant, or you can find me as uncensored, unapologetic, and untamed. UQ Podcast Collective group, Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the Instagram as at JuggaloBastard, or should I say X now? And you can find me on TikTok as at JuggaloBastard Podcast. You can also find me on YouTube as Paranormal New Normal, and you can also find me streaming on YouTube as Blind Knowledge Network, because all knowledge is blind until they admit Bigfoot exists.